Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Janine Jijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we are talking about Barry and the Northman, a TV show and a movie about the perils of revenge. Yes. yes. My, one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, how was your week this week in the world that we live in? Wow, what a what a prompt. I know, I'm um, sorry. You know, this week I feel has not been great for mm. a lot of people. I'm maybe experiencing, you know, the highs and lows of life. This is a low period, for sure, for personal reasons, but also just like, oh, this is what's going on in the world uh, yeah. at large. I don't yeah. know. This is like yeah. vague, but I'm sure everyone who listens to this, you like know what we're referring to. So it's it's yeah. like we're, we're all sort of in this similar state, I feel, emotionally. Yes. Uh, what about yeah. you, Felon? Same, man. There's nothing like repetition to really drive home the point that life is uh, an existence <laughs> on this earth is is sometimes terrible otherwise i don't know i've been trying to find the joys where we where, where i can and you know trying to get away from doom scrolling as much as i can so i'm reading like four books at the same time right now which wow. i haven't done since i was 13 so <laughs> do you have yeah. one recommendation among the four books so far well i am reading the glass hotel by okay. Emily St. John Mandel. I think that's in oh, the book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's funny because it's actually set in the same universe as Station Eleven. Oh, I had no idea. No, no, no character crossovers, but uh-huh. the George the Georgian flu exists in this book as well. Oh, There's mention of it. And I was like, oh. But in this book, they contain it. So everybody gets mm-hmm. to live and we get to read more stories. So oh, wow. the, the alternate universe where Station Eleven yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's kind of fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I started reading it because she has a, br- a new new book coming out. And yeah. I want to get to that eventually. Yeah. 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 All yeah. right. That's us this week. And we yeah. will get into our primary topics at hand. And also, yes. we fully realize maybe some people might not be in the mood to talk about like barry and the northman at this particular moment in time if so i'm sorry you can uh check back in in the following weeks but, yeah it's always know. tough it's always tough to talk about masculinity and violence <laughs> yeah. uh, but in I mean, general but th- you know? this, this week especially i don't know um yeah. hey yeah so i mean that being said what did you watch this week pelin yeah, so this is also an escape for me because it's one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have been watching Barry Season 3. It's on HBO Max. Uh, Barry is created by Bill Hader and Alec Berg. And this show, if you don't know anything about it, it premiered back in 2018. Uh, it's a great critical acclaim. I'm one of the critics that gave it acclaim. <laughs> and it's it's recently back. I think it's like five or six episodes in. Mm-hmm. So... Barry is a half-hour dark comedy about Barry, who is a former U.S. Marine sniper turned low-rent assassin, who is from Cleveland, Ohio. He is sent out on a job in L.A., and he then decides to have a change of heart about his career after he stumbles into an acting class in the Valley. So that's, like, the starting premise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, season one's arc was mainly about Barry's, like, potential new chapter in his very sordid life um you know with his like assassin responsibilities snapping at his heels season two's arc is a continuation of cleaning up the mess that he created in season one (laughs) including his relationship with sally played by sarah goldberg and it also features one of the best episodes of tv as far as i'm concerned of all time aka ronnie slash lily 
And the third season arc is about forgiveness and revenge after Fuchs, who is Barry's handler, tries to corral a revenge army against Barry, uh, which I won't say why, I won't really get into it, because I really want everybody that hasn't seen it to start watching this. But you and I, we we are fans of Barry. Like, mm-hmm. we know each other to be fans of Barry, but we've never actually, like, sat down and talked about it. So I'm really excited about this yeah. chat. Uh, yeah. What are your feelings on I mean, Barry? It's been a long time coming. Um, I know. I, I like Barry. It's it's a great show. We've had this like weird three years, I think, in between mm-hmm. seasons. So mm-hmm. not much opportunity to talk about it. I have to yeah. admit, like, I forgot a lot about what happened in the previous seasons as I was yeah. getting into this season. I needed yeah. to read like a couple recaps and refreshers to yeah. get into it. But once I started watching again, you know, I very quickly remembered how good the show is and how yeah. much I like watching it and how the pl- like the episodes just sort of like fly by yeah. in this like uh, spiral of pleasure. Uh, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. And it's also how much you have nothing that compares to this show. Yeah. There is nothing that compares to Barry. And I think that was like why people were gushing over it when it first aired. Yeah, like you said, it goes by so fast. Obviously, it's half an hour, but like at the same time, it's chock full of moments and like both laughs and serious scenes that just make it feel really well balanced, really like a a breath of fresh air, honestly. Uh, I I wanted to start this chat off by uh, talking about Bill Hader. Mm -hmm. So Bill Hader is the co-creator. He stars in it. He writes it. And he has directed a whole bunch of the episodes. Mm -hmm. So how do you, what's your relationship to Bill Hader? Like, how do you feel about him? What do you know about him? For those that don't know, could you explain who he is? Yeah. I mean, he rose to prominence uh, as cast member of SNL, obviously. He had several, I think, like very notable characters. But it's been really interesting to see what he's doing after his turn on SNL, mm-hmm. where, you know, he's always playing a character. He's always playing these absurd characters. Yeah. And this, obviously, he's also playing a very interesting character, but it yes. is entirely of his and his, you know, creative partner's own creation. This is a very personal project of his. And mm-hmm. it's showing what an amazing artist and performer yeah. he is. Like, this yeah. really open, I think a lot of critics and audience members' eyes to his range. Like, he is yeah. very, very good as an actor. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, he's very good as a writer and director. So mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. I I didn't really care to know anything about Bill Hader when he was still mm-hmm. in SNL, just because, I don't know, SNL is kind of like a, you know, it's a cultural mainstay. It's, it's always there. It's an institution. But what goes on it, I, I don't really care. Not for me. Yeah. Um, but his yeah. leap into this after that, has just been incredible to watch yeah and it's funny because like even when he was on snl i feel like he was probably the favorite of a lot of people in terms Mm -hmm. of cast members i think he got nominated for an emmy for his performance which was the first time a cast member had been nominated for an an emmy since Mm. eddie murphy but yeah no i agree i think um you know there's a great new yorker profile on of him season one of Barry is done and, and they do this profile when they're shooting season two, which is usually, you know, the, the nice little inflection point that a lot of profiles are written. Mm-hmm. But um, I learned a lot about him in a way that I, I think like a lot of people did in a way that like I didn't expect mm-hmm. in that he's like very honest and forthcoming about, 
I mean, he's he's like diplomatic about it, but you can read between the lines. He was miserable on SNL. Mm-hmm. He he talks about his anxiety. He talks about like the medication that he's on to deal with his anxiety and how much like SNL exacerbated it. And yeah, like, are you kidding me? He wasn't even that big before SNL. And he, I think he mentions that it felt like he was going to preschool straight to Harvard when he, when he joined SNL and like the anxiety that that, and you know, oh yeah, woe be a white guy that gets amazing opportunities hand, handed to him. But at the same time, like, you can empathize with that. You can, you can totally understand where he's coming from. So to see him close that chapter in, in his life, which was eight years, and then kind of like prance around with different film roles, different TV roles, doing a lot of voice acting. He he had a stint on South Park, actually, uh, from like the 12th season up until the 17th season, like on and off. And for him to come out with this, especially because I think he didn't want to be in front of the camera anymore. It's such a blessing, honestly. Like, I'm just so glad that that, that chapter of his life, life closed so that we get this. Um I also love that he's a massive cinephile. <laughs> so, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you know he's yeah. he's dating Anna Kendrick right now? Which somehow yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Before that, he ra- he dated Rachel Bilson. He did, is- yeah, yeah. But aside from that, um, let's talk more about the show. <laughs> um, so aside from Bill, Barry does have an amazing cast of newcomers and like old heads, essentially. Do you have a favorite out of the out of the cast? Like, do you have any highlights? People that you like? I think one breakout character and performer has obviously been Noho Hank, played yes. by Anthony Kerrigan. Yes, uh, what a delight! You I know, know for a show that is very dark at times, and he himself as a character is also very dark. He kind of embodies like uh, what is so good about this show, and that it can have this darkness, this bloodthirstiness um but also sliding right into the moments of humor and levity and absurdity so quickly like yeah. he he is all of those things as a character and also sort of sympathetic and you know you really like him despite everything that he is yeah uh so it's everything uh that is fantastic about the show yeah. like he is a reflection of that yeah i mean i i definitely bulked at his accent uh at the beginning but then i was like oh this is part of the comedy like that he sounds like an american putting on an eastern european accent <laughs> like mm. um but no i agree i i i love him and i think he's become such a fan favorite did you know that they were gonna kill him off um oh in which season in the first <laughs> and then they found out how much people loved him and then figured out a way ah, to kind of keep him classic on. classic um shout out to fans you do have power um yes. <laughs> and um yeah i think like to to mention some of the other people in this cast i it would be remiss if we did not shout out uh henry winkler um mm. who is you know just a mainstay of americana tv culture mm. in general so the role that he plays in this is gene cousineau barry's acting coach and it, I've never, I've never been in the industry like this. I don't. I've never been to LA. I've never been in that kind of like space. But we hear all about it. Um, and the fact that he plays that archetype of self-important acting coach that's just like extremely washed up and no one likes him and he's actually yeah. a prick mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, yeah. and the fact that Henry Winkler is playing it is also just the best. Um, I know, uh, great, like sort of <laughs> meta mindfuck. Um, yeah, but he's so beloved overall. Yeah, and definitely. I'm I'm really pleased with like how much he's he has to do in this current season. Oh, um, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. really yeah. stretching 
all of the the sort of emotional range. Um, yeah, they're they're giving him a lot. What's great is that I'm really rooting for him too. Like I I I want to give a shout out also to this thing that the show does where there's not a single person that you necessarily like mm-hmm. that is wholly good. Every single person in this, like every single like main cast member, is an antihero. It's not. It's not just Barry, who is is actually the hardest to root for out of all of them. But yeah, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sally as as a character as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she's so funny. Like in in terms of the fact that she's one, she's the only like prominent female cast member that comes is is a mainstay, and the fact that she. And the thing about Sally is super self-conscious, a little bit self-obsessed, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. thinks that the world kind of revolves around her low-key, um, but also like the difference between her and anybody that is self-aware is that sh- she isn't afraid to say these things or or show this to screen out, you know, out loud to us. Um, like you feel her when she feels insecure about her acting. You feel her when she like is so invested in her career. And especially I think this season's like her arc in this season where, you know, she has some success, you know, like it's, it's mm-hmm. finally paid off. And like you feel so happy for her, especially after two seasons of knowing that she's the best actress out of her entire or the best actor in her entire acting class. Um, and for her to like finally be given her due, like you're super happy for her, but she's also like insufferable. Um, mm. And it's like if you know, I, I look at her and I'm like, oh fuck me, I hope I don't sound or look like that when I'm feeling the way that I feel, <laughs> which she, you totally understand. But um, this season's arc is is fantastic. How do you, how do you feel about Sally? Yeah, I mean, similar feelings. Like she's so annoying, but yeah. also the most relatable in a sense yeah um you are her or you know that part of you is maybe her or some elements of her yeah and for i mean you can't hate her fully because she is she's she's you she's and she's Mm -hmm. vulnerable and she's she's very human and she has ambitions that i think maybe uh match what we'd like to imagine for ourselves for these like uh not necessarily delusions of grandeur but she's reaching for that kind of thing and this season it's it's hilarious what they've done with her arc like the yeah the rise and fall like how success works in this industry and how especially like what streaming and algorithms what they have done to this definition of success yeah i found that really hilarious yeah and also very very sad for her yeah yeah I'm, I love the name of the streaming service, which is called Banshee, yes. which is such a good, so, I mean, just fantastic writing. Yeah, I'm, the, the strength of this show in terms of the comedy and also the general tone of it is the way that it kind of makes us look at the ugly and embarrassing parts of human existence and human behavior and just like rubs your face in it uh, through through the lens of these characters, whether it, whether it is like insecurity, careerism ambition uh lying um but more seriously it's the way that it kind of balances comedy with violence uh this is a very violent show just straight up like it's definitely not something that you watch with kids no you know this dual relationship that it has between comedy and violence and lightheartedness and darkness essentially it, it, it says something kind of profound about human nature that i don't really want to get into but i i appreciate it a lot like a lot of the images of Barry that are seared in my head and a lot of the scenes that are seared in my head are actually the more violent and the more serious scenes. And and mm-hmm. there's a way that it kind of 
after all the levity, it kind of like clunks in your chest when you watch it in a way that is like, I wouldn't say recoiling, but it is certainly like, oh, holy shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like, this is tough. A balloon is punctured and like all yeah. of the, the light is let out and you're like, like, oh, shit like he's still this guy this is still yep. what happens yeah it's it's kind of like deliberately almost a killjoy in, in a sense yeah 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 totally it, it's a, it's in a way that is haunting like it's there to haunt you which mm-hmm. you know when it comes to barry it, it makes sense because he does have something haunting happening in his past that kind of informs who he is today you know and and informs his violent nature and informs the fact that he is there's something like inherently wrong with him that he especially in this season is really struggling to find out what it is to fix but also like on top of the violence it it says something about like everyday violence in terms of abuse i would say i think season two sally's arc with her ex was just so good in in terms of like how her put like especially like Sarah Goldberg's performance how it's just like just under the surface of who she is but it's always there um just really really great so uh saying that in this season um pretty early on there is a scene where Barry goes to Sally's workplace yeah I mean I thought it was really good you know you can see both as Sally what she's brushing away in that Mm -hmm. moment but also you can see through the eyes of like the third party witnesses, like the young actor played by Elsie Fisher in this season. Like you can see from that point of view, like what a starkly scary kind of moment this is. Yeah. Like as Sally and maybe as people who are as viewers accustomed to Barry and we know what Barry, the character has been through. Maybe it's, it's inclination for some people to be like, okay, well, that's that's Barry. I know yeah. what he's like. But then you 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 catch yourself as you're like self deluding. Like you catch yeah. yourself in this moment of blindly excusing or going along with Barry's yeah. shtick, like who yeah. he is. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I thought having like Elsie Fisher's character that was it was really good. Her role in this yeah. as as someone who is new to this and is like, okay, this is not right and it's scary and it's like violent and why am i like the only person sort of getting that and it's especially pointed because we have gone through several seasons of people around barry that just do not see him for who he is and she Mm -hmm. immediately gets what barry's about which Mm -hmm. is that he's a a deeply violent man (laughs) um and there's something extremely troubling about him so Mm -hmm. no completely i think the part that really got me was the phone call that happened afterwards um where sally's like checking in with him and he's already forgotten what what's happened and she Mm -hmm. is like she has such an important meeting and an important announcement and she can't even think about that because trying to she's trying to like think of how to fix it with him Mm -hmm. like getting she doesn't know anything about him and she's like oh i I know he likes spaghetti and i know he likes to play video games and i know that his control you know and the way that she's trying to fix that and then comes home and like presents it Mm -hmm. there's something touch wood i've never been in that position but we know of as women (laughs) in relationships with men in general uh, with abusive men like you we might have heard about it there's something very true in that scene that again which makes it even more haunted in terms of like all the arcs there's there seems to be like a lot happening all at once concurrently so i'm really excited to see how they tie it all up by the end of this season but do you have a do you have a a story thread or like one of the arcs in this season so far that is your favorite that you're the most invested in 
maybe again this is because I I really like Noho Hank as a character, but mm. you know the sort of twist of his relationship with Cristobal and how they're finally maybe starting to build a happy life together in yeah. some sense. Yeah. Um, but how that keeps getting disrupted and threatened and finally like. I don't know where it's going to end this season, but yeah. um, really feel for these two, like, gang leaders, in a yeah. sense, who have somehow found a very healthy, loving relationship with each other. Yeah. And that scene with Hank in the closet yeah. was so heartbreaking. Yeah, I think for me, uh, the thing that I'm really curious to see, just because it, there seems to be so much, like, seed planting going on right now. Um, of what happens with the revenge army that Fuchs is building against Barry. Um, mm-hmm. So, last question for you. Do you think there's any hope for Barry? I don't see how there can be, like, rationally speaking. Yeah. I think as viewers who are, who are watching his struggle, watching what happens to them, you know, again, like, we might find ourselves kind of wanting to root for him, but at the end of the day, like, what what can actually happen with a character like this? I think there's it's gonna end ambiguously or like straight out like on a tragedy like there there's no real happy ending i think yeah 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 i mean it's that common that common philosophy of like you know in films the protagonist changes but in tv the protagonist never changes and that's like the point of it uh in order to keep it going um yeah i don't i don't know i don't know if there's any hope for barry i just curious to see what happens to the people around him which is now a little bit more interesting to me than it was before and um, and it's been renewed for a season four is that right yeah yeah we'll be eating and that'll be great <laughs> all right jenny so what did you watch this week so i watched the northman which has been playing in theaters i think maybe not as many anymore so i watched this uh vod mm-hmm. uh so if you can't find it in your local theater you know just you can rent it. Yeah. Um, but this is a historical, mythical epic film directed by Robert Eggers. And it's written by Eggers and the Icelandic poet uh, Sean. This is Eggers' first big budget feature film. Um, so you might know him from The Witch and The Lighthouse. And this is just like a, you know, the budgets have blown up here. Um, so this story is based on the legend of Amleth, which is possibly based on an older Norse legend. Um, and that story itself was the basis for Hamlet. Yes. So it's if you're familiar with the, the story of Hamlet, you're probably going to be somewhat familiar with the you know narrative arc of this story as well. Mm-hmm. So basic rundown, very, very long time ago, centuries ago, in 895 A.D., there's a young prince named Amleth who is played in his youth by Oscar Novak and by Alexander Skarsgård for the majority of the film. Mm-hmm. He witnesses his dad, uh, King Arvindel, who's played by Ethan Hawke, yes. murdered. Yes, Ethan Hawke in the film for maybe like 10 minutes, but he owns it. Um, <laughs> Love Ethan. So, yeah, so the king is murdered by his own brother, Fjolnir, who's played by Claesbang. Which uh, I, who I, I also love him. Um, yeah. Shout out to Claes. Yep. <laughs> um, so his brother, you know, takes over the throne. He claims Amleth's mother, Gudrun, played by Nicole Kidman, as his own queen. Yes. Amleth barely escapes. He vows to avenge his father, save his mother, and kill his uncle in that order. Yep. And he's still chanting that mantra decades later when he is now a viking berserker who 
kind of goes around with his, you know, group of fellow Vikings massacring pillaging villages. And he has this encounter with a Cirrus played by Bjork, um, yeah. who puts him back on the path of revenge. And he, you know, poses as a slave to be sent to Iceland, where his uncle now lives in exile, blah, blah, blah. He is helped along by his fellow slave turned lover, a witch named Olga, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, mm-hmm. as well as the various uh, movements of fate and the gods to finally seek his revenge. So that's the the broad arc of it. Yeah. First off, I just want to know your your sort of broad thoughts, Pellin. What did you think of this film? So I watched this back in London in the cinema, mm-hmm. and I had a great time. When they first announced the film and the cast of it, I'd already been like an Eggers fan, so I was already excited about his next film. But the fact that this was like a bigger budget, bigger cast. Yeah, stacked um, cast. Very stacked. I was super excited about it. I don't know anything about viking history so i had a lot of fun with many of the scenes where it kind of gets into whatever that history was at that time um i also appreciated the procedural it felt like a procedural like one after the other very linear timeline Mm -hmm. um and i also liked the final message of it i liked everybody's performance i thought i don't know sometimes you need to just like really blow out a traditional not folk but like a story like this with the budget that we have now with cinema. I think it's always fun to do it. Um, so I I had a great time. Obviously, the people I was with, like my mum, uh, did not like it at all. She thought, <laughs> she, she thought it was ridiculous. And it's funny because I have a bunch of friends that are diehard Eggers fans and they hated this. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Why? Like what, what's sort of the uh, patterns there? They just thought it was exhaustive to get through. Mm. They felt it was too long. They weren't really interested. They thought the story structure was a little bit basic, like too basic. Mm. Um, whereas I, I, like I understood it to be more of a depiction of, of a time mm-hmm. um, and like an immersion into that time. So I, re- I really had a good time. What mm-hmm. about you? <laughs> it's a little bit strange to sort of figure out my feelings about this Mm. film because i think on paper you would think that i love this because i i love this shit i love like legends mythology i had a period where i was like very into like old norse like nordic myth when i was uh, a kid and so like all this sort of thing right up my alley yep i think my my takeaway is that i appreciate a lot about this film a lot of the elements of this film were like uh, different aspects to it um mm. but i don't know if i necessarily had fun watching it mm. which of course i can appreciate it for what it is the high quality of it like but as for what i actually want to repeat my experience of watching this i don't think so and that is mm. just like one criteria of course for how much i like a film but right. it is it is a criteria oh, i think i may fall a little bit on the side of some of your Eggers fan friends um, mm. who maybe felt it was a little bit exhaustive or mm-hmm. exhausting at times. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'm I'm happy to break down some of the elements that I did find very interesting because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot, you know, to say about this film and the things that it's doing and what people are taking away from it. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a it'll be a good one to digest yeah. and di- dissect in any case. Yeah. So I think first off, like this film, it is not trying to be a big like blockbuster type of film it is still very 
strange and primordial and violent. And I was also struck by how serious it was, even with mm. there are like campier supernatural moments. I think another film, they might have used that to break some attention, but here it's treated with all the gravity in the world because Egger, what Eggers is trying to do is just like immerse us, like you said, this immersion in this world, in this time, in the beliefs that people of this time period in this world might have had. Yeah. And those gods were terrifying. They were everything. They, mm. you know, so much of life was this seriousness, this gravity, this life or death, mm-hmm. um, and this hope in, in the afterlife, like Valhalla, the, the, the hall of the gods. So I, I thought that was an interesting choice to how, have it be so straight face serious, mm-hmm. which is sort of in opposition to what we see a lot of mythology depicted as nowadays, which is primarily through like the Marvel films where they do a lot with the old Norse stuff, but yeah. they turn it all into very campy, sort of quippy, yeah. ironic uh, sort of moments, uh, which I think people get tired of that. So mm-hmm. this is sort of a different lane from that direction. Yeah. I mean, I thought a lot about Green Knight when I was coming out in terms of the comparative yeah. piece, because mm-hmm. it is like the, the journey of two men. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we loved the green Knight, um, yeah. and, and it was one of our favorite films that came out that year. But yeah. Whereas I feel like in this film, the, uh, the only time it was actually funny was uh, that sports game that they were playing, whatever it was, I've forgotten what you call yeah. that game, but the like, one where you like clobble each other and, and yeah, yeah. One by one you're picked off. Yeah. And then obviously that ends in a very serious uh conclusion. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really mind it. I didn't mind yeah. that it wasn't like funny. Um yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's a welcome or at least like a unique sort of change from yeah. what we see of as mythology like fun as funny uh, yeah. through the other contemporary films that yeah. deal with like Norse gods and, and goddesses and yeah. stuff like that. No, I mean, what you said about the Marvel thing is interesting because, like, I, I think now that you say that, I appreciate the fact that Eggers was like, I'm not going to try and make this palatable for you. Yeah, he's like, fuck that. Yeah, it's fuck that. Gonna this, be as, yeah, this, it's going to be grimy and it's going to be, yeah, like, very violent and it's going to be, I, I'm not going to, like... Yeah, like, the shit was bleak back then. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, like that. right. <laughs> yeah. There's no, like, assuaging for, like, contemporary sensibilities yeah, nah. which yeah. yeah i guess you gotta respect in some way and also the going along with that like he is known for being very thorough about his research mm-hmm. uh, about his scholarship um and especially this film so much went into this to try to make it quote-unquote authentic so he had multiple experts consulting on basically every single detail of the film in terms of accuracy yeah there's a new yorker profile of eggers that called it probably the most accurate Viking movie you'll ever find. Mm. Like, everything down to, you know, the long ships, the costuming, how things fall apart in the costumes, like, how disgusting and and dirty and, like, grimy with filth everything is. Mm -hmm. Um, The the way the buildings are built, like, every single detail, he poured so much into this. And I think that's been lauded mostly across the board, but I found it interesting. There's a Richard Brody review, yeah. also for The New Yorker, of course, yeah. on Curmudgeon King. Our favorite hater. And yeah, he stands out as like one major critic who did not like this film. Yeah. And he actually took issue with what he calls the vanity of the tale of research and effort that takes precedence over the on- on-screen results themselves. Mm. So he's like, this dude spent so much time bragging about how much he researched and like 
painstakingly made this film and actually like he used that to sort of disguise what a not good film this is Mm. so whether you agree with richard brody or not i think that's a hilarious i i i don't know i i love him i love richard brody and what this the stuff that he says all the time no matter if i agree with it or not yeah i mean but that's like a common issue that a lot of uh filmmakers that try to abide by accuracy that's a common critique that they have to face a lot of the time like you do get stuck in the details of course you do like you are making a million and one creative decisions every day as a director or a showrunner Mm -hmm. sometimes yeah you do place precedence on what how something looks i think for i don't mind it because i think for eggers it really fucking bothers him that he is making a film about this very specific time and he doesn't like who is gonna make this film again do you know what i mean like who's gonna tell this story again no one man like no this is it you know so i think for him to be like yo if i'm gonna do this it has to be like not only just like historically accurate as like a as like a record keeping in a way um or a reenactment of a time in a way like uh, it would be embarrassing if i got something remarkably wrong and I'm probably the only person that's going to tell this Amleth tale. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't, I get it. Like, I get why he got stuck in the details. I also appreciated the details. Like, what is film if it isn't escaping into a time or a place? And, you know, Eggers is very, um, very famous for saying that he's never going to make a contemporary film. Uh, <laughs> like, he's only ever going to make films about the past. Uh, so if that's him, if he, if he's a filmmaker that roots himself in history... Yeah, that's going to be very important to him. So, uh, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 I think moving on to the themes of this film, which is where I think it's very good in that sense. Like, it's thematically, you know, you have this classic tale mm-hmm. of a son seeking to save his mother from a sort of malevolent uncle or, or father figure. Like, we see that in a lot of tales and, and legends, mythology, and folklore. Much of it, of course, you know, informed by Hamlet or these older tales that sort of set that narrative into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought what they did with the subversion of that narrative was, like, very good, yeah. especially with that perfect, like, pivotal scene between oh, Hamlet so and good. his mother yeah. when he, everything he thought he knew, it just turned upside down. Yeah. And it really raises a question, like, who is the real villain yeah yeah what what did you think about that scene or like what it's doing with the the sort of subversion of that oh my god first of all shout out to nicole kidman what a great performance i Mm. i think she oh like just perfectly cast you know she's always been the ice Mm. queen and i feel like in this in this instant it it just works out perfectly for her Mm. um yeah dude i mean i knew the thing is like the good thing about this film and the way that it is so linear in that like mm-hmm. this happens and then this happens and like the the mission is set from the very beginning you know yeah so we understand what the mission is he's back on the mission we're we're doing it we're we're going through mm-hmm. it and in that reliance there's obviously like as any seasoned audience member slash anybody that's a writer they know that something's about to go horribly wrong because it's too simple mm-hmm. or it feels yeah. too simple so like the 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 arrival of that scene came just at the right point it felt very satisfying and then mm-hmm. yeah it it turned this revenge film into uh which you know every i feel like every single revenge fantasy or film about revenge poses that question of is it worth it is it going to get you what you want and then like in this mm-hmm. film it was like are you even right for seeking it yeah yeah. Are you doing this for the right reasons or did you have it all wrong in your right. head? And did you get played? It turns out Did it you was. get played? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he did by he his totally own did, mother. <laughs> he totally did. Um, yeah. And then what happens from that point onwards is actually, I think, fascinating. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think it just, if there is a, a security of the themes that it's trying to explore, it's it, it's really blown out and then really secured in, in that kind of final from that scene onwards basically yeah it really it changes the game i think it like i admire egger's sort of dedication to telling a very uh kind of amorally like there is no Mm -hmm. right or wrong that he's explicitly ascribing but he also makes the viewer reconsider the desire to think about things in conventional terms of good and bad yeah like obviously for the time period like there's so much violence uh amleth participates in so much violence or he allows so much violence to happen Mm -hmm. um you have his mother here who is a representative of like in the opposite end of this like masculine violence and rage you have a woman who is cunning is wily who uses her feminine wiles she represents like the the quote-unquote mysteries of women that you know the men somehow they they can never figure out yeah like the the question like oh was his mother good or bad like there's no real answer to that either it just says there's no real answer to any of this but it does represent in a certain way like how for a time period but also like for eternity (laughs) there's so much of the women's fate depends on how much they can manipulate and trick and lie and and convince others to do their dirty deeds to them and how much they can convince a brute more or less to protect them and act as their shield and as their their soldier yeah and whether or not you find that someone you want to root for or someone you feel sympathy for or someone who you like you cheer for when amleth finally like gets over her on that it's just a very good exploration i think of the sort of gender dynamics and dynamics yeah, yeah. at play here yeah no totally and especially considering anya taylor joy's character as mm-hmm. well as someone you know women at that time it's just and like for a long time and still to this day you know like still, it's, yeah. it's all about uh what what do you want to hitch your wagon on to um yeah and and how do you kind of make that decision mm-hmm. uh and the way that the way that their uh relationship it makes complete sense as to why they find each other but th- there is a moment where he leaves her to to mm. to to go finish what he started essentially, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I felt bad for for her in that instance because it's just like oh no yeah now she's alone again and what is she gonna do and there was a, a lot of me that like it when that when that film ended I was kind of like worried about her you know like not yeah. that, not that she's real or anything but it's like oh no I wonder what happens to her um, yeah I do wish that we had been able to get a little bit more from her character from mm-hmm. olga yeah me too like i don't exactly know what that would be but yeah you know she gets she's she has top billing in this film like she yeah doesn't get to do much beyond her assistance mm-hmm. of amleth her like role in relation to amleth and of course like that that's just how it is that's like how you know the the role of women in this film it is all in relation to amleth it yeah. is a story about amleth that's that's just how it works narratively and also you know historically yeah so i don't really know what i would even ask for but i i would have loved to see a little bit more from olga it's interesting to think about the women in this film because i know that there has been criticism from some about how they really like they're their only existence is in relation to how they work with Amleth. Um, and again, like I get that criticism, but I also get like, 
well, isn't that the point? Yeah. Um, still can't help <laughs> wishing it some in some way that we could see a little bit more. Yeah, same. How do you feel the film ended or concluded? Did it like did it feel satisfying to you to you in terms of what it was trying to do? Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt fit what it was trying to do thematically in in trying to paint this picture of like, okay, this is what the cycle of revenge and violence, both like masculine revenge and violence, this is what it leads to. Yeah. It leads to everyone dead. And that is where the cycle ends. Yeah. Um so it accomplished what that was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously as like a, a viewer, I would have loved if like Amleth just stayed on the boat with Olga yeah. and escaped and and but then, you know, he raises that question when he's on the boat, which is if I do this, actually the violence, the revenge, those cycles will continue because yeah. then they will try to come after me yeah. and come after you and come after the potential future babies. Yeah. Um, so it, it accomplished what it was trying to do. I don't think it could have ended in any other way um, yeah. but the, the sort of self-assured mutual destruction. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to the way that they talk about Christianity in this film. Mm. Fascinating. Because... It's at a time where Christianity was just, the word was being spread about it. Yeah. Um, and there's a fantastic line. I don't know who says it. I think it's Cleese Bang's character where he says they worship a corpse nailed to a tree or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And uh-huh. I, I like when he said that, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Can you imagine what Christianity sounded like to someone that's never heard of it and has only, mm-hmm. has only known pagan or paganism yeah. or, and like, just uh, i love that like for that to me that that was worth it because i think there's a you know there's there was a point in history where the things that we know to be true today just didn't exist um and yeah it's always fascinating to kind of really focus in on that yeah yeah that was awesome i thought that was good too yeah so yeah that's that's the northman unfortunately the northman has kind of been a box office bomb yeah like it they are not making back everything they put into this i think he tried as much as he could yeah I think, you know, sometimes things just like don't they don't recoup all the costs. Yeah. It's just like that's that's a that's a thing for the studio to worry about. Exactly. And um, I, I feel like he's he's a studio darling in general. Like the witch was so lucrative for them, it was such a moment in like uh like historical horror as a genre mm-hmm. as well. And then like the lighthouse, I don't I think that was like a critical darling for the most part. But like both of those films were so small. And this was yeah. the first time it got like big and the budget was big and maybe he fumbled through it in terms of like what to do with it. I remember when even before the film was coming out, there were news uh, going around that they uh, that the studio wanted him to cut it down even more. And, mm. and there was like that struggle. And he's always been mm. he's actually been pretty open about his struggles with yeah. studio, like the way that A24 marketed the witch, I think really pissed him off. And he said as much. <laughs> Um, I think on their podcast, which was really funny. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's that big of an issue. It will, it will just be interesting to see if he goes just as big slash bigger or if he goes back to uh, having a smaller budget or a smaller film in general. Um, yeah. so we'll I have see. a feeling that he's going to maybe try to scale back and go back to smaller. But yeah. like this was his one chance that he wanted to to, to take on yeah. a big one. But I mean I don't know. Who, we'll see. Yeah, I we'll think see. He's gonna have a long career. I agree. And I think like I totally get it if he wants to scale back. I feel like this is just too much stress and sometimes you just want to be comfortable when you're making something. Um so curious to see which time period he picks next. Um shout out to <laughs> fellow history nerd. Yeah. We yeah. love it. 
This Week in Culture, we just want to take a brief moment to say RIP to Ray Liotta. He was 67 when he died. Obviously, you probably know him from Goodfellas Mm -hmm. or from a lot of other films Mm -hmm. that he was in. Mm -hmm. So just want to give a brief tribute to him. Yeah. How about you take it away, Fallon? Dude, one of the greats. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. gone too soon for sure. I think 67 is so young. Many of us uh, Italian ex uh, adjacent allies, uh, we're very, very sad that we <laughs> lost an uncle today. Um, mm. But it just kind of made me think like, oh, holy shit, there's going to be many more of these. You know, like immediately when I found out, like me and my friends were just like, bro, if Elliot Gold goes, but like Elliot Gold to one side, you know, the Italian greats as well. Like mm-hmm. uh, I'm talking Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Joe Pesci like when they start going like our hearts are all collectively gonna break slowly but surely so you know it, it not that not that he's a canary in a coal mine by any means um just because he I think his death was truly a surprise yeah man I'm not looking I'm not looking forward to these next like what 10 20 years where where our greats start yeah. going um mm-hmm. like the Irishman when they were doing the press press events like there was I think there was like an, a round table for the Irishman and it was Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, um, and Al Pacino at a round table. And they looked, bless them, they looked so old. And I was just like, fuck me, they're all mm. going to die one day. And, uh, you know, the, the horror of time passing is just ever-present in our state of human existence. But in this, in this case, it's really going to break my heart. So rest in peace, Ray. Uh, thank you so much for everything that you've given us from your Goodfellas performance to the very very haunting scene in Hannibal you know even the more recent stuff with Many Saints of Newark and Place Beyond the Pines Um, just he has given us so much Um, so that's it from us this week just a heads up we are going to be off next week because it's wedding season and my friends are getting married so congrats to them shout out to you Serena and Ian um, if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram for extended show notes including links to everything that we've been talking about and more please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com as always thank you so much for listening please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with the sweet five stars and more than anything please tell a friend about us if you like us uh, and introduce your friends into the fold so thank you so much we will see you in two weeks bye criticism is dead is produced by pen and keskin Lu and jenny g john our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew Lu. 